Chapter 21 Save Your Love for Me My little saviors, teeny lifesavers that allowed me a purpose to live. I could give them the recipe for having a wonderful life by helping them to avoid my mistakes. Doesn't any good parent plan on doing that for their own offspring? With one child, Demi, the eldest, whom I'd loved to pieces for the first 14 years, actually could have squeezed the life out of her if left to my own devices. This child that had gone from perfection to being filled to the brim with disrespect. We say black, she says white. She wasn't trying to prove that she was a free thinker, but just to be a terror to live with almost as though she skipped the terrible twos and injected that stage at the age 15. I tried to remember back, to think about things that I had done as a teen, to keep it in perspective, but as bad as I'd been, and truth be told, I don't know how my mom survived me, I still couldn't relate. I'd been smarter, more deceptive, and used sleight of hand. She was just an in-your-face menace. We always believed it stemmed from being the only child for the first three years and then having to learn the art of sharing when her siblings came along. She became a complete disappointment to the family, the child that we believe needs to be on medication just to shut her up. The now 16-year-old child who forced me, the nurturing soul, to take garbage bags into her room and with a clean sweep of my hand, fill them up with all of her belongings and throw them on the front lawn while telling her to either come home and be respectful for once or get them off the lawn before they reached final destination, as in the trash. The I've-reached-that-point child opted to pick up the bags, throw them in the back seat, and leave. She was gone for six days. Every house she stayed at, I'd receive a phone call from the mom saying... Demi's here, but she could only stay for a couple days. Will that give you enough time to sort through her precariousness? Because we can't take it any more than two days. <laughs> I'd smile because, while at least they offered validation to her rudeness, she was still my kid, and I knew those moms probably said the same things about me behind my back. Apples do not fall far. That child, along with child number two, Cody, who once again as a youngster was the second love of my life. Oh, how I delighted in his delight. The toddler with the belly laugh. It never mattered what he was laughing about. It was just so damn funny to hear him laugh. How can something so big come out of someone so small? Respectful was his middle name. I love you, Mom were words I'd hear at any time of day, heartfelt, until he got into his teen years and learned that lying was an art form. He could fool me because I was too tired from the first child and lack of luster husband to try and figure him out. Many bouts with the police. Many times I stood up for him and lied just to keep him out of jail. I wonder who he took after. A liar sees a liar. We'd talk and he'd say, Mom, you can't lie to yourself about things and expect me not to lie to you. We're the same person. Again, being so tired and so distraught over so many things, I'd find myself nodding my head and thinking, No, this isn't right. I tell the truth. You've got to try. 
only to have them fall upon deaf ears again. In the next breath, I'd think, Son of a bitch! He's right! Who am I kidding? Now what? What happens to me when my kids start to think for themselves? I know for a fact that I don't handle people who continuously make poor choices well. Could it be that I threw my teens into that category? I wonder if I should blame the beginning of foul play on them or myself. Today, I hide pills from him, wonder about money that goes missing from my purse, always having him forefront in my mind. It's so sad when a parent has to look cross-eyed at their own offspring in order to see them clearly as to what they've truly become in spite of our teachings. To this day, I always want to own the blame and leave them as golden. The third child, Raven, was a quirky delight and my port in the storm. I was always so worried, so concerned that the first two would damage her. I didn't want damaged goods anymore, whether they be children, husband, parents. She'd wear what she liked, no matter the styles. She'd sing and dance and laugh and giggle. At times, she sounded like she was speaking in a foreign language with the funny voices she'd come up with and spit out like long licorice sticks that everybody would get stuck on. While she emulated her older sister, she'd be both loved and bullied by her in ways. I was bullied as a child, as was my sister, mom, and my dad. Wow. And I wonder why putting an end to bullying has become such an issue with me in my life. My two girls shared a room, and still my eldest would make her her slave. I stepped in as often as I could. I'd teach what bullying was. My little one got it. My eldest took a lot longer to break through, but eventually she did. I remember I would talk for hours with the third child, just trying to explain that her sister really did love her. She was just going through a bad stage. Not sure who I was trying to convince the most, her or me. The monumental day occurred when she finally came around. Limits. We all learned to respect limits, eventually. Where is my head now? How have I had sex with different men as of late, enjoyed it, profited from it, compartmentalized it, and can sit here in a cab thinking about my kids? I know I've been a good mom, yet what they don't know will save their lives because, for sure, it would kill them if they were to find out. The fourth child, Lainey, always had a smile on her face, as if she were constantly telling us how lucky she was to be a part of this family. No kidding. She'd watch the third child and laugh with delight at her funny voices. She'd try and copy her dances. She was just the perfect little sister to all three siblings, never pestering and very little trouble with huge amounts of love, hugs, and kisses from me. I was very fortunate to have four children at the time that sincerely loved being with each other. The bullying was over. The eldest watched the next one down and so on. When I was with my kids, I felt that my life was complete. What I lacked with my husband, I made up with these little creatures four times over. <laughs> the fifth child, Emma. 
was my last shot at trying to save my marriage. I was so exhausted physically and mentally by the time I had her. I can remember holding her while sitting in the bathroom one day and watching her as an infant slide out of my hands and fall between the tub and the toilet. I was so tired I couldn't even break her fall. I worried from that moment on that I wasn't a good enough mom, a sure sign that I'd never be able to break her fall as she grew up. She was wise beyond her years and has the same smile today as she did at six weeks old while I stared at her on the changing table. I couldn't believe my eyes, my tired eyes, that this six-week-old infant smiled at me with an old soul look in her eyes as if she were saying, Mommy, you had me to make it all better, and I will. I may have had my kids for the wrong reasons, not for lack of love, but having them was not the way to fix a marriage. My husband was a great dad. The kids couldn't get enough of him picking them up, swinging them around, hugging them, kissing them, letting them sit on his lap, all the things he never offered to me. I admit it. There were moments that I was jealous of my own children. All that he offered them was all that I ever wanted. I didn't need riches or gems. I just needed to be touched by him and never was. None of them ever knew how sad and lonely I was. Imagine being in a family of seven and still feeling loneliness. There might as well have been 20 kids in the family. When you're unsettled within yourself, it doesn't matter how many are around you. Depression is its own entity. It doesn't need a face or body because it can take over your soul. I worried about my kids feeling they were still too young to go through the heartache of divorce, leaving the man they looked up to that they knew as dad. It was easier to stay and seek passion in another way. The last child bought me time to think, plan, and make what I felt were the right decisions for all of us. Chapter 22. The Dam Bursts. Ten years later, I was still in this holding pattern of life, losing time, losing energy, losing will, and yet completely faithful. He and I were sitting on the couch having coffee one morning. I was talking to him about a very good friend of mine, explaining my frustration as to why this friend would continuously tell me he was going to do things and then he'd never follow through. My husband looked at me and said, some people say they're going to make an effort to change, but they never really do have that intent, like me. He continued by saying, for example, how many times have you asked me to be more demonstrative? And I always say I'll try, but I know I never will. Today, I sit and remember one of the main reasons that I left my husband. All this time, I blamed it on the lack of passion, not kissing me or touching me, lack of financial support for the kids and me. I lived with a person for 20 years that continuously carried a grudge. My husband was very black and white, either laughing and sarcastic or brooding and stewing. He'd never let anything go, 
and he'd never tell me what was wrong. He'd get quiet, sullen, angry, make me guess at what I could have possibly done to upset him, while at the same time he'd deny being upset. I walked on eggshells for at least half of my marriage. Anxiety crept in at all hours, whenever I was awake. It was like my shadow. I couldn't sleep. I learned to ignore on the surface, but it was one more element that just ate me alive from the inside out. I often wondered how there were any pieces left of me. One time, I finally got my husband to admit what was wrong. I pushed because I couldn't take the silence anymore. He finally stood up from his chair and threw an end table into the wall behind him. Isn't it amazing how every man in my life reminds me of something another man has done? I jumped, frightened, remembering my first boyfriend, thinking to myself, how could I do this twice? For the first time, I stood my ground and told him, if he ever did anything physically abusive around me again, he would have to leave. I still shiver when I remember. He sat back down and wouldn't talk to me for the next two days. It went from two minutes to easily two days. And to this day, I still don't know what that round of silence was about. Six bullets in, spin the caliber, Russian roulette in my head. I only know that when it happens today, I fly back to yesterday. The healing process never seems to end. There's always a frayed end to fix or a tuck away. Do we never learn a lesson the first time around? Having remembered all of this in what felt like a moment in time while sitting on that couch with him, hearing the words of dismissal he'd just uttered in that moment of time inside my own little head, I heard the switch turn off. Click. Click. I looked him in the eye after 20 years of marriage, including 15 years of sadness, and I said to him, I'm done. That switch has never been turned back on. Our marriage, for all intents and purposes, ended that day on the couch. Once again, he'd made me wait for what I wanted, affection. But this time, unlike before, I knew I'd waited 20 years to find out there was no chance I'd ever get what I really had wanted, ever. No silver lining, no glasses half full, no pot of gold at the end, nothing. I got up, noticing the look on his face, and I knew that he knew I meant it. It was over. Chapter 23 And So It Begins that day, while heading to a meeting in the city and while on a train, I met a man. It was the first time in years I'd noticed anyone noticing me. I felt light. I don't know how I stayed rooted to the ground. I felt like my body was filled with helium. I felt my old self coming back, that party queen, the carefree girl of the 80s. Even with all the heartache that had recently become obvious, it didn't feel like a load. Instead, it felt like I could easily carry that weight. This man saved my life. He made me feel beautiful, sensual, desired, and lusted after. 
I was so in need that I was oblivious to the age difference between us. We sat together on that train, giggling, playing with each other's phones, whispering as if we'd known each other forever. The difference in our ages was just shy of 20 years. How does a woman not notice this? It's a generation, for God's sake. It's socially unacceptable. At least I thought it was when I was a teen. Thinking back to my mom and her friend, was this the younger man syndrome? In retrospect, am I that different than her? Yes, I needed to believe that I was different. I was 45. He wasn't a teen. He was a grown 28-year-old man. While I have five teens, I've never once looked at my kids' friends in a seductive way. There's too much nurturing inside of me. Once a child steps into my home, they basically become mine as an extension of my own children. As I suppose it may have started that way with my mom back then, but my version does not include sex. I can't believe that hers did. I believe that was the beginning of her nervous breakdown. As young kids, my sister and I could easily say, our mom was the best mom. So where did she slip? What was her last straw? I think a woman knows when the last drop of integrity has been sucked out of her. I believe she felt dry as a bone at that point. Why else would she need the fruit from a 16-year-old? That's awfully potent, considering she hated me, I thought, her own 16-year-old. My young lover and I, though not 16, found that our problems began when he started to back away. He was the equivalent to a life preserver for me. Maybe that's why I felt him backing away from me. Looking back, I probably scared the hell out of him because he had no way of knowing just what he'd entered. I couldn't stand the thought of living another day without passion in my life again. I imagine my mom must have felt the same way. He truly was my passion. I tried to explain to him that I wanted a large piece of him, but only every once in a while, nothing more than he felt comfortable in offering. Once a month would have been fine, because I'd always have something to look forward to. I had no idea he was as attached to me as I was to him. It frightened him because he wasn't in a place to be able to leave his wife and children. His words to me were, I try to leave you on the front porch as I walk in my house, but I can't do it. You're always with me. I can't risk losing my family. Because I loved him, I let him go. How can you intentionally hurt someone you love? It's not within my character to do so. A recent sidebar here, while writing this book, he's been in touch with me multiple times. We've spoken more in the last three months than we did for the five years we were together, as a matter of fact. And to me, it offered closure. Dora, do you know why I left? I literally felt myself holding my breath as the man that never wanted to talk kept talking. I couldn't protect myself from myself, so I needed to protect you from me. I loved you too much, and I knew that all I had to say to you was, pack your bags, I'm getting you out of here, and we'll ride out this storm together, no matter the age difference. He paused on his end of the phone 
as I exhaled. And he continued by saying, I couldn't let you do it. Would you have left? I didn't even hesitate before saying, I've waited my whole life for a man to say those words to me, and if you had said them, yes, I would have gone with you. This conversation was six years after we'd met, and we're now cleaning up well. (laughs) Eighteen years my junior, and he claims that one of us needed to have been the adult back then, and we both sure as hell knew it wasn't me. How very mature of him to take that lead and leave me back then. One more man to put on a pedestal? While this had been going on, I was truthful about it with my husband. He knew I was done with the marriage, and I was forthcoming with this relationship. He was letting me go, letting me do what I wanted, in hopes that I'd come back and realize that he was still the catch of the day, and that I'd try and reel him in to make things work. For the longest time, I was very clear in saying there was nothing left in me to fix and no desire to offer any bait. Chapter 24. Personal Business I came home one day, no one being in the house, and I happened to see his laptop open and on. There was an email displayed. I'd never touched his laptop before, but I looked at the email didn't recognize this person he'd written to, apparently a friend of his from high school that he hadn't talked with in years. The email from my husband was describing me as a slut, a whore, someone that had been fucking around for years behind his back. He ended the email by saying, I hope she dies from cancer or gets hit by a car. Literally having my breath taken away while being in shock and trying to think back to when he may have thought I'd had a previous affair, I was trying to also absorb the hatred from the words he'd spit out. I printed it out, closed the email, and went back to my own computer to sit and think and decide. As the parents of teens, we'd learned early on about a program to install on our kids' computers that would allow us to see what they were writing, not with the intent of invading their privacy, but more with the intent on keeping them safe and alive. While I sat there still dazed over what I'd just read, I hit the keys that we'd hit on our kids' computers to see if the program was still working properly. And there it was. He'd installed that program on my computer— He'd been reading all of my emails to the man I'd been seeing. Even though I'd told him the truth, he still invaded my privacy, adult to adult. This man who I'd lived with for 23 years, most of which while married, that didn't know the first thing about computers, this man who I didn't know had the capability to have so much hate in his soul, who lied to his friend and wished me dead, bugged my computer. It was the beginning of the end of whatever friendship we'd had left, where we'd decided to stay together and live in an open marriage of sorts. I now felt frightened, not only for myself, but for my kids, and literally not safe. When he came home that night, I told him I knew about both the tampering with my computer and the email to his buddy. He tried to deny the email as I began to read it out loud to him. I'd only seen my husband cry once before at his dad's funeral, and now, being the second, I felt horrible. 
I now knew the meaning of pit in your stomach. Something in me never lets me want to hurt a man, no matter what the circumstance. It's crazy. I always try to preserve their ego, even at the expense of my own. I believe I'm my own worst enemy. The long and short of it was we stayed together for convenience sake. I couldn't be myself at home or in my lover's bed. No one trusted me for fear of the ammunition that was just built into my psyche, my intuitiveness and outrageously my honesty. Not my husband or my lover could trust in who I was. One wishing I'd love him more and one wishing I'd love him less. Trust had flown the coop and life became very dysfunctional, especially while trying to hide all of this from the kids. During the course of all this chaos, we became distracted with our businesses, losing one business after another. We blamed it on the recession, which was easier than me having to believe that my husband would abandon his responsibility of taking care of his family, or me for that matter. Money became tight, and even tighter. Our credit was shot, our house was being foreclosed on, and he flew into a one-way direct path towards depression. He couldn't work. People would show up at our house to turn off the electricity, the water, and he sat frozen. All of this while none of our friends were aware of anything. I felt as though I'd become both parents, the wife and the husband. I was now thinking for seven, two adults and five kids. I believe this was the only time in my life that I never relied on sex to get me through. Life was tiresome. I was thrown into my own stages of depression, where most would revel in the fact that they had so many blessed children. I was instead completely overwhelmed, overworked, and alone. The kids were growing up and going through their own stages. My husband was lethargic, and my own port in the storm was gone. Even my mom wouldn't offer us financial aid because she had her own money issues. Fear of lending. I don't think I've ever really forgiven her for this. At times I'd think about what their lives would be like if I left. I looked at pills and wondered how many it would take to go to sleep forever. I wondered how people did themselves in by self-infliction and if I had that in me to do. Obviously I didn't because I couldn't leave my kids, my husband. I guess I just wasn't ready to go. Chapter 25 Mundane, mundane. When I really take a telescopic view, I see that I was still attractive to others, just not to myself. A very big part of me is to look and feel desired. Not just pretty and attractive, but flirtatious and drop-dead desired. I didn't feel this way for such a long time that I felt I had so much time to make up. My husband insists to this day that he always wanted me and only me. This is the biggest mystery of all. Today, I can notice a stranger looking my way at the drop of a hat or a flicker of a smile that shows he wants me. My own husband? I didn't recognize it at all. I want to believe him, and I do. I believe we just had two different levels of desire. Look at me. Really, look at me. Let me see the raw desire in your eyes. I need to see that. I always have. 
I can't live mundane, everyday stuff, normal, and I need to feel special, not the same, where he could. Maybe I married him for all the wrong reasons and then tried to make it right. Should he have been pressured into being someone I wanted him to be, even though I was smart enough back then to see that he wasn't that man? I then found out it was too late to save us. How could I do this to a man? My past, my history, my protecting the men I love, how could I allow this to happen? I'm so saddened that I did. So, so sad. Here I go again. Imagine spending your whole life believing in the wrong people. You believe in the wrong sets of morals. Maybe the right people are there, but they don't take the time to show you the difference. So you learn at a young age to do what your gut instinct tells you to do, yet still have a difficult time doing it because you want to get by, to skate by, in order to avoid confrontation. I say yes when I mean no, in order to move ahead. This was and is my life. Granted, it makes me more intuitive, but it never really erases the pain, the not knowing. I just never feel prepared. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Next Thursday, Dora will be very introspective, examining herself up and down, in and out. At some times in her life, she feels like a monster. At the others, she feels justified. How do you feel? Westwood One Podcast Production.